When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you to talk some FIU football today. Uh, spring ball is underway for the Panthers. It's a new era under Mike McIntyre. And um, thankfully, we have uh, probably the best FIU beat writer uh, in the space on the show every single episode. So it uh, should be an easy one, Eric. Yeah, first off, you know, glad to hop on the mic with you again. As always, it is a pleasure to talk all things CUSA. And yes, after the episode, once again, shout out to Evan Dudley, truly the renaissance man of Conference USA, as I like to refer to him as. I mean, anyone who caught that episode, hopefully we brought you in to, you know, give you a little peek of like the side conversations we have with Evan, because he can go he's that guy who if you catch him in a press box or you know side conversation whatever he can go anywhere right so love having him on but yeah it is now FIU week and certainly I can uh talk about what was an eventful 2021 for the Panthers and you know pretty eventful offseason as they transition to the Mike McIntyre era absolutely Eric I've had a tough week man uh yeah. as you know uh big Seattle Seahawks guy and <laughs> Russell Wilson getting traded to the Broncos, Bobby Wagner getting released, uh, end of an era for the Seattle Seahawks. And I, I spent some time with my <laughs> with my good friend Evan Williams, who happens to come in bottle form, um, <laughs> to kind of get over those losses. Um, and, and it just it just got me thinking about other painful uh, roster moves that were tough to stomach as a kid or as an adult. And you know, for me, like it's very reminiscent of like. When Matt Hasselbeck moved on from the Seahawks uh, a long time ago, when uh, Ken Griffey Jr. moved on from the Cincinnati Reds, my hometown team and the hometown guy, um, you know, and it got weird, you know, vibes when when Jim Tressel uh, was fired from Ohio State too. Um, I guess for you, like, what's a, what's a roster move that that impacted you in that way uh, over the time that you've been a, a diehard sports fan? Yeah, so there are a few that come to mind being a native Floridian. The first, which is one that I can't fully remember. I, I, I was a child, so I can't fully say that this one gutted me, right? I mean, I was five at the time it happened. But Shaq leaving Orlando, because it puts you this way. Anyone who, you know, I, Joe, how old do you have to be to really understand the level of superstar slash pop culture icon Shaq was you got to be at least what 20 30 late 20s early 30s probably uh yeah I mean I'm almost 30 and I like I remember like Shaq like you know it 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 probably has something to do with the fact that his name is like one syllable and very memorable but like I remember like realizing who Shaq was when I was like three or four so and that's that's my point right like you know I am you know 30 
31 actually. Um, and the fact that I'm able to, you know, at four or five, you saw Shaq from the commercials and the massive large in life personality. So yeah, so that's one. Um, but one, but you know, ones that I could truly, truly fathom and just felt gutted by again, diehard Florida sports fan. So let's start with the Orlando magic, the trade of Tracy McGrady to Houston. T-Mac was my guy. I mean, Penny was my guy, but T-Mac was my guy because, you know, when Tracy McGrady was at his peak and I don't care what anybody says, yes, he had some nice moments in Houston. He and Yao Ming made the second round and whatnot. That wasn't peak Tracy McGrady or Orlando, you know, with the, with the um, blue and uh, the Royal blue and black Adidas, like the T-Max that's peak Tracy McGrady. So watching that guy have to suffer through the injury, the injury of Grant Hill and carry Joe, we need to talk about, no disrespect because, you know, again, you're a kid and you have that affinity for those teams. But then you go like and look at those rosters and realize how mediocre they were, that the next best player was Daryl Armstrong and Mike Miller and Bo Outlaw and just the guys that he was carrying to the playoffs for 44 wins. When that trade happened, it, it gutted me. So that one hurt. Um, and then the Dwight Howard trade. Once I realized, again, that, you know, the Magic were going to lose another big-time center, uh, that one hurt me as well. And last but not least, before the Rays were in existence, I was a Marlins fan. Now, if I've, you know, being from Tampa, my allegiances are full on Rays, but, you know, the, the Marlins were in, in existence before the Rays were. So basically, mm-hmm. the 2003 Florida Marlins was a team that, like, I rode hard for and just lived and died. And of course, when the Marlins do what they do, which is just win a championship and then trade all the players. They eventually traded Dontrell Willis, and that's the one that just ate me up alive. So those three, you can go with the Dontrell Willis trade, uh, the T-Mac trade, and the Dwight Howard trade. Yeah, first of all, don't disrespect my guy, Mike Miller. How dare you? Uh, (laughs) Second, (laughs) I I definitely had a pair of those T-Macs. Great shoe throughout that era. Um, And no argument on just how phenomenal T-Mac was and what – you know how much he carried those magic teams um and yeah i my brother actually was a i think still is a a big marlins guy and i remember him being visibly (laughs) distraught for a couple of weeks after uh dontrell lewis left the uh the marlins because he won him a world series and he had the the crazy leg kick it was a very memorable uh a face of that franchise for a while so understandable to, to be gutted by those moves. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Like you mentioned, that memorable leg kick and that personality. Yeah, man, that was big time right there. What about you? I'm curious for, for you. Was, was it those? I mean, those those are the ones that really uh, the Ken Griffey's one. I'm wondering, are there any recent, you know, ones that, that have gotten you or just now you've become an adult? You've managed just to be so immersed in sports business. They don't you're numb to it now. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's definitely gotten easier as I've become an adult because rosters change so much now. Um, I mean, this is like, I guess different, but when the Sonics left Seattle, I, that took a long time for me to like fully grasp the fact that they like don't exist anymore. And I don't understand how they like how the NBA hasn't like put another team in Seattle since, but that one was hard to stomach being a Cincinnati Reds fan. They trade all their good young talent and like, or just like, don't keep it around for as long as they should. So like, uh, you know, Josh Hamilton uh, going to the Rangers was, was tough. Brandon Phillips leaving was, was tough. There there's been, 
a few in, in baseball, just as a Cincinnati Reds fan, it's, it's very similar to being an Orlando magic fan. I would, I would assume I'm, I'm not a magic fan, but like they always get like some, some really good talent that like carries a, a team of, you know, nobodies to like just the, the brink of like being almost like a contender. And then they're like, sell everybody, you know? So. <laughs> exactly. Oh, um, uh, and I mean, uh, I mean, I, people understandably give me crap for being a Chelsea fan, but Dieter Drogba leaving Chelsea was was tough as well. But then he came back like three times. So I then it was like, oh, well, but anyway. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's get back into the the our, our job as it relates to sports and talk about some of the stuff you've seen from FIU at spring ball, Eric, um, you were talking to me a little bit about this off air, but it seems like the offense is shifting to more of a spread, more of a, uh, a big 12 almost kind of style offense. So I take it new OC David Yost is looking comfortable in the new role. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, David Yost is a guy for, Listeners who may not be familiar with his pedigree, last stop was at Texas Tech under Matt Wells. Prior to that, was with Wells at Utah State and was longtime Missouri offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach. So someone who's been either a quarterbacks coach or offensive coordinator at the FBS level for the better part of the last two decades. I mean, really, his arguably the biggest name I think people would know uh, recently is Jordan Love, but prior to then, Blaine Gabbard at Missouri. So uh, definitely, you know, uh, an experienced offensive coordinator will have no issues being in that role at FIU. But in terms of the, the um, you know, the makeup of the offense, Joe, it, it's very interesting. I mean, one of the things I had a chance to, when the Panthers opened spring practice, we're taping this on March 10th. They opened on the 8th, Tuesday. Joe, it was very evident. They did 11 on 11 red zone drills and everything was just hectic. And I mean, hectic in the sense of, that's the word that, David Yost uses to describe his offense. He says that it is very hectic. He mentioned, you know, we had a chance to talk about for practice. He feels that his guys should be able to handle anything and that anything that happens wrong on the field, it's on the quarterback. So he puts a lot of responsibility on that, says one of the quotes that I found interesting is he said, hey, we're practicing this 52 weeks a year. They're only practicing for one week a year. There's no reason they should be able to stop us. Um, but Joe, like I mentioned, in the 11 on 11, you know, red zone, People, as soon as the objective was to keep that ball off the ground, because as soon as that ball was caught and the play was, you know, was down the running backs, you heard, you know, they actually had referees out there and you heard players calling ball, 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 get it to the referee, get it to the umpire to get it spotted because they were looking to move. So they are absolutely looking to move at a fast pace. And I think the most noticeable thing, most noticeable departure from previous years, whether it was Rich Skrosky or Andrew Briner, the running backs are going to have to have hands. And Yost said as much in his uh, presser and his availability, but you saw multiple. He said that, listen, as soon as we get that ball snap, we're looking to get it in the hands of our playmakers. We're looking to do a lot of, you know, like tunnel screens and, and perimeter types of uh, plays, get the ball in the perimeter to playmakers like Tyrese Chambers and to the running backs. They want get the ball in their hands and let them go get yardage. So I definitely think a lot of that big 12 style that you see there, you know, those Baylors and, you know, I, I won't, even though he's a former Texas Tech guy, I won't say Texas Tech because I think the first thing that comes to mind is the air raid. And it's not an air raid offense. It's a spread. And, and, and again, you know, we can probably, you know, we'll see if, if uh, Coach Yost and Coach McIntyre are, are, are amenable with him coming on the podcast. I'd love to have him describe it, Joe, because one of the interesting quotes, I think, is, you know, you and I being major football nerds, somebody caught me, he said that caught my attention as well was, in talking about the spread, he said it was designed for defenses to cover the field and the formation. And he thinks that a lot of spread offenses nowadays have gotten away 
from forcing defenses to cover the field and just cover the formation. So with him, he wants to spread it out, but make them also cover the field and the formation because in that way he feels that you know, it's going to be really tough on defense. So, um, yeah, I think that's the best way I can answer that. And, of course, you got to have a quarterback to run it, so that certainly is a big storyline to keep an eye on, but definitely uh, something to keep an eye on as far as how the players adapt to the new offense. Yeah, I mean, speaking of quarterbacks, I think the – roster move for FIU over the offseason that has a lot of people talking is the uh, addition of Gunnar Holmberg, the former Duke signal caller. How has he looked in spring practice thus far? So far, again, you know, it's only we're still in the first week. Uh, today was actually the second practice, was not there. I'll be back out there on Saturday. But it was interesting, Joe. You could tell, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with FIU football, the number 12 is a significant number. It's the number that James Morgan wore during his time at FIU. It's also the number that Alex Magoo wore during his time at FIU. Uh, it's kind of become that, you know, symbolic number that if you're a quarterback and you wear that, you, there's some expectations. Max Bortenschlager wore 12 during his time, and now the, uh, the Duke transfer and Gunnar Holmberg will be wearing 12. First day looked pretty solid. I mean, definitely, you know, as a, a veteran presence, but a, it, it is a quarterback battle. It's a quarterback competition. Definitely keep an eye on two names that for anyone who's heard me on this podcast about FIE before in the past two years, it, you'll be familiar. Grayson James, the former three-star recruit out of the Texas area, of the Dallas area, and then, of course, Hayden Carlson, of the former three-star recruit, son of former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, New York Giant, L.A. Ram, Jeff Carlson. Um, he also it will be involved in this quarterback competition. And I, I wrote my spring, my uh, day one recap, and you know both, or really all three quarterbacks had some nice throws. You know, Hayden Carlson had a nice touchdown to uh, Indiana transfer Jacoby Hewitt there in the red zone, and Grayson connected with Tyrese Chambers a couple times. So by no means do I think it is going to be an open and shut competition with Holmberg just being the guy. I think that they're going to make him work. But with that being said, we know the situation, right? I mean, I've been a part of now three quarterback competitions at FIU. Each time that a player was brought in via the transfer portal, that was the guy who ended up winning the job. James Morgan in 2018, and then Max Bortenschlager. People forget that Max Bortenschlager was the starter in 2020, despite the fact that it was a quarterback carousel. He was the opening day starter, and of course was again the opening day starter in 2021. So with that being said, uh, again, I'm not saying it's open and shut case, but you, I think you have to consider that, that you don't bring a guy in and you know kind of expect him to be a backup. It's rare, but you have to consider it. If you've been a part of so many quarterback competitions at FIU, Eric, why haven't you won any of them? Well, here's the thing. Um, I'm very much, you know, <laughs> like when you say dual threat, uh, it's dual, but emphasis on on the run. You know, I am a Quentin Flowers-esque quarterback, you know, sub six foot. I see. Um, stocky. Definitely can get you the tough yardage inside. I can make the throws when necessary, but I don't think I'm capable of making the throws in a David Yost offense. Although, although, listen, listen. If he just wants me to get the ball on the perimeter, I can do that. If you need, if you don't need me to push it past ten yards, Joe, I, I can get out there. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll listen to uh, I'll listen for your name in the USFL supp- supplemental draft tonight <laughs> and see what happens. How about that? <laughs> yeah, and I, and you'll be blocking for me up front, Joe. <laughs> I'll be I'll be pulling double duty as left tackle and like Talboy or some or something. <laughs> be like Dale Gribble to to your hand kill. You mentioned Tyrese Chambers, obviously a huge piece of that offense from last year, and in the offseason had several offers from Power 5 programs to come join their team. Um, you know, obviously, 
A, what does it mean to have him back as part of this team? And B, I'd be curious to know if if he was able to provide any insight as to, you know, what made him decide to stay as opposed to, you know, seeking a, another opportunity somewhere else. Listen, Joe, it was, in my opinion, the biggest surprise of the offseason. You just think when you look at everything on on the surface, right, a kid like Chambers who was not highly recruited out of high school, had to go the FCS route and was an FCS All-American, even then wasn't highly recruited coming out of Sacred Heart, you know, had signed or given his, his verbal, excuse me, didn't sign, given his verbal to UTSA, and then FIU was able to swoop in there in the end and get him. And, and you would think for someone who, in his first year at the FBS level, breaks the single-season program record for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns, record that was held by T.Y. Hilton, certainly a notable name, you would think he's going to capitalize in this era of transfer portal. And, you know, and even just, listen, I don't think it's, it would have been selfish of him to say, not only am I trying to strike while the iron's hot, we got a new coach, a new offensive system, and I don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. How likely is it that I'm going to put up, again, 45 catches for over 1,000 yards, you know, 24 yards per grab and nine touchdowns? So, it, again, Joe, it was just very surprising and when he made the decision after meeting with Mike McIntyre to return. And Tuesday was the first time that we got a chance to ask Tyrese why, and he just said, quite frankly, FIU felt like home. You know, he's a guy from Baltimore, and anyone who knows anything about inner-city Baltimore knows that you don't quite – you don't have palm trees and sunny skies and – you know, beaches nearby. And he felt that, listen, the FIU is the one who gave me the opportunity. I want to be part of the, of the solution, not just run out on these guys. And, and, and I do think quite frankly, because, you know, not to lean so heavily into his background, but I think there's a measure of loyalty there um, that is quite frankly, noble and should be commended. Now, hopefully for Tyree's sake, it works out and he has another great year. And, you know, when it's time for him to pursue pro opportunities, those are there, but uh, I will say this, it's, it is surprising, and it's one of those things that, you know, from a personal standpoint could backfire, but just from an FIU perspective, he's a huge leader on this team, Joe. I mean, he was named a captain toward the latter half of last year, had the C on his chest. Mike McIntyre said that that guy will be a leader on this team, and when I asked him, he said that he believes a receiver can be the leader on the team. So certainly huge for the Panthers to have him back. Absolutely, and, you know, depth obviously is an issue for – uh, or has been an issue rather for for FIU the last uh, two to three years or so. Um, this is a program that that lost 16 players to the transfer portal, and they're welcoming in uh, 25 new players. And then even then, uh, you have to depend on walk-ons just to get enough bodies for a full spring practice. Uh, I believe in in an article that you wrote, Mike McIntyre said that uh, they just don't have enough, uh, or rather, they they needed all of their walk-ons in order to practice the way they would like to in order to do, you know, full contact, all that kind of thing. Uh, but I mean, what does that kind of do psychologically to, to these guys uh, as they prepare to, you know, open a season um, trying to bounce back from a historically bad one? You know, it's interesting, Joe. I, I don't necessarily know what it does to them psychologically. Here's the best way I can answer that. And, you know, I know that we'll probably talk about this towards the end. You know, I had a chance to talk with former FIU head coach, Butch Davis for uh, an upcoming piece on UVD. And when I talked with Butch, this isn't a secret because, you know, we talked about over the past two years, just how ravaged they were by COVID and, you know, in terms of injuries and available bodies. Again, I don't know what that does to the psyche in terms of the fact that you're losing. But I wonder what that does in terms of just being outmanned every game. 
And I to to spin it forward to this year, are they going to reach you know the eighty five man scholarship limit? It's really been hit or miss. I mean, Mike McIntyre's played that close to the vest. Um, I believe last time we talked, he said they had four scholarships left. Of course, teams are allowed to sign 32 players this year instead of the normal 25. But even with that, that may not get them to 85. I, I do wonder, in one sense, at least if they can get as many bodies in there as possible, you don't have, in theory, you won't have the same issues as last year. But Joe, it was noticeable when I looked up and I think, you know, I actually went back and looked at one of my tweets and I remember you quote tweeted it. When I said that FIU was down 33 members of the roster from opening day due to transfer injury or COVID by the time the end of the year, I, I don't know how you how that doesn't play a factor when you look up and you have, I don't want to, you know, throw a player under the bus, but quite frankly, when Gio Richardson, who was recruited as a quarterback and actually played quarterback at Chattanooga, FCS Chattanooga, is playing 40, 50 snaps at DB. And listen, this is no slight on Geo because he actually had a nice year for someone who was a first-time DB, had interception and fumble recovery at something like 15 tackles. But when you have a first-time DB versus guys who've been playing receiver their entire lives, that's tough, right? So again, it's been a forward to this year. On one hand, it's got to be nice to look up and have, you know, 100, 105 bodies. But at what point um, do you run into the same issues last year where it's like, up? Oh, you know, one or two injuries, and then we're playing guys who, you know, are former walk-ons. Certainly takes a lot of athletic ability to be able to be that versatile in a uh, in a position that you've never really played uh, in a serious way before. Um, you know, I guess staying on that sort of topic, uh, what's the feeling surrounding the defense right now after allowing 62 touchdowns in 2021? Yeah, the defense is definitely going to be something to keep an eye on, Joe. You know, you got – a lot of guys, I was actually keeping an eye on the roster. While it has been made available publicly, we got you know, our roster internal to media. And, you know, Jovan DeWitt uh, is definitely going to have his work cut out for him. I mean, look at the fact that there are not a lot of veterans left. Guys like Richard and Richard Dames, names that if you're a Conference USA fan, you've known for years. You know, Dorian Hall, Kevin Oliver, Josh Valentine Turner, Jamal Gates, a lot of veterans. And, he, and even as you mentioned, even with those veterans, they had their struggles. So, I think it'll be interesting, first off, what scheme they're going to play. It did look as if they are going to run a little bit more 3-4. Mike McIntyre ran a 3-4 at Memphis during his last two seasons as defensive coordinator. They did line up in, in a 3-4 bit, you know, when they went 11-on-11. 11 11. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. But, Joe, just it's going to be a lot of youth. But you can say that about this entire team, quite frankly. As I, I think I may have made this note to you off-air, but they have something like 58 or 59 players who underclassmen who are, you know, either first year or second year, of course, who have not, excuse me, have not experienced an FBS win in an FIU uniform. Of course, they haven't had an FBS win since November 23rd, 2019, that being the win over Miami. So A, it's youth and B, it's confidence to see what's going to happen. So definitely on the defensive side of the ball, I, mean, I think it's going to be, be a matter of how quickly can they adjust to the three, four scheme. Definitely going to be interested to see what they can do in the secondary because they have a lot of talented players there. And also, um, linebacker Gaithan Bernadelle, who quite frankly should have been a all freshman team performer, a bit of a clerical error on FIU's part, why he didn't earn the distinction, but he was actually second in conference USA and tackles amongst freshman linebackers. So he's a guy to keep an eye on as well, but yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, Joe, I, I think you can, can definitely understand this as someone who you know, covers football the way you do when you have a lot of, not just guys learning the scheme, 
but people who have even practiced together. You know, it's one thing to come in and, and you take over a team and you got veterans who've played together, right? Joe, the majority of these guys who are running there on the first and second and third team, they haven't played together. So that's going to be interesting as well. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I don't think people really understand how important chemistry is in any team sport, really. Like, it's not like a video game where you can kind of like switch the pieces in and out. There's not really, you know, any, uh, what's the word? It, there's no real like instant gel there. It takes time to be able to, to build that kind of trust between each other and that kind of understanding of your teammates' tendencies and how to, how to best play off those in high pressure situation. And it looks like FIU is kind of dealing with the same thing. Eric, what position group on this team do you feel the most confident in right now? Oh man, that is so tough because again, there's so many unproven young guys. I I would have to say it's a toss up between, in my opinion, receiver or running back. Um, When you say receiver, of course, you got Tyrese Chambers, but you also have, again, a lot of power five guys coming in. You know, I mentioned Jacoby Hewitt. You have, uh, Sherrod Johnson from Syracuse. Guys who, even if they're, they're, they're not household names, they've played. They are returning Randall St. Felix, who you know played last year, started some games last year, and also played at South Florida. So they have talented guys. When you look at the running back spot, yes, they had Devontae Price, but guys like Lexington Joseph, guys like K.J. Owens, Sean Peterson Jr. I know, those, again, those are not household names, but they are talented players. If it's one thing that... You can look at Butch Davis's career from his time at Miami. He always recruited great running backs. So there was no reason to think that he wouldn't be able to do that at FIU. And of course, being in South Florida, all of the running backs, either guys from South Florida or from Florida in general, and you know Florida's going to put out great running backs. So if you had to ask me a group to be most confident in, I would either say the receivers or the running backs. It's just hard when you look at the offensive line. They lost three guys. You know, Miles Frazier goes to LSU. Sione Finau goes to Purdue. Dante Keyes is at Colorado State. And yes, I mentioned three guys who are, you know, yes, Colorado State's not a power five in name, but, you know, certainly a prominent school. I just mentioned three guys went to, you know, either a power five or, or premier G5 program, and they still gave up 41 sacks. So, and again, that's not all on the offensive line, but it's, it's put it to you this way. You get what I'm saying. You, you have your struggles, yet you lost those three guys. Defensively, we know that FIU hasn't been able to stop the run the better part of the last four years so you know we'll see what happens but yeah um definitely i would go receiver and running back right now let's talk a little bit about the head man himself and mike mcintyre in one of your early stories from fiu spring ball you had a quote from him basically saying how much he wants to stress the fundamentals in these early practices uh you know obviously we have uh, several more months toward the season but do you think that approach is going to pay off when you know, in theory, it, it seems like at this level of football, you should have the fundamentals more or less down by now. <laughs> well, OK, I mean, it's interesting you put it that way because and, and I don't know if the quote, maybe I didn't do the quote justice not to take you know ownership of that as the author. But uh, he wasn't saying fundamentals like guys, how to, you know, put on your pads and how to lace up your, you know, your, your cleats and put on your helmet. It, what he was talking about was essentially the fundamentals like, hey. If we're going to win games based on where I think he feels they're at as a program, they're going to need to do little things right. Force turnovers, protect the football, making sure that we're executing in terms of learning. And Joe, this is where again, I think it's significant. You have guys learning a new offense, new defense, new special teams. 
they really do have to start from scratch. It's not like, and while yes, there has been some coordinator turnover at FIU over the past few years, there's no continuity to lean on. And I'll, I'll give, it, give it to you like this, Joe. This is, if you're you know, an offensive player on this team, this is your third offense in as many years and is a vastly different offense from the Rich Skrosky and Andrew Briner era. This is, let's see, um, if you're third year, this is the what, third? Yeah, this is the third defensive corner, actually fourth, fourth in five years, third in three years on the defensive side. A vastly defense, a vastly different defensive scheme than Everett Withers. So I do think, uh, while it's a, st- <laughs> I don't want to say it's a stale quote. It's a, it's not a sexy quote. It probably is a truth to say, listen, we just need these guys to learn how to line up in the right spot. And I can give you this. I'll give you this that you know David Yost mentioned. I talked about his feeling of everything being fast paced, and he used the word hectic. He said that he had some of the quarterbacks and some of the guys, you know, receivers coming to him on the fourth day saying man, coach, are we moving slower than we were before? And Yo said, no, nah, it's not that we're moving slower. It's that you guys are finally getting, you know, where to line up, where to be in this spot and that spot. So it feels like things were going a little bit slower, but in actuality, you're learning it. So I think that's what, what I would assign to that that quote as far as, you know, the fundamentals per se, if that makes sense, Joe. Yeah, you mentioned like it's a new staff. It's a more or less like a completely new roster, I guess. Has, you know, he given any insight into – the best way to address that situation where you need everybody to, you know, from all these different backgrounds and all these different levels of experience to come together quickly and create that chemistry that we talked about. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't necessarily gone into it in detail, but I can give you an example of certain things they've done. They have not been shy about talking about the importance of certain like team bonding environments because they feel, and again, I don't want to put words in Mike McIntyre's mouth, but just a matter of getting a chance to know who, <laughs> who is next to you. You know, if you don't even know that person on, on any level, um, how can you go out there and have chemistry? And to bring it back, Joe, when you talk about, and when I've mentioned the, the level of roster turnover, the most notable thing for me that I took away from the 11 on 11 um, period in the red zone, how much, and listen, if you've ever covered a practice at any, you have, I'm just speaking in, in general terms, you ever covered a football practice, you know, it's a loud environment. You got coaches yelling, you got whatnot, you know, all types of, of stuff going on. But the amount of communication going on from the secondary, the backers, the quarterback, those guys are out there trying to communicate. And I think, I think I would look at that as a positive in terms of, hey, uh, again, you, you don't have guys like the Dameses, the Dorian Hall, Josh Valentine Turner, who maybe can look. And if a guy comes in motion and say, all right, I know that Dorian Hall is going to take pick up on that guy and he's going to, you know, um, uh, travel with this slot receiver or, or where he's going to be. All these guys need to be yelling and communicating. So to bring it back around, talking about building that chemistry, they need to know each other because that communication off the field will certainly blend over into the communication on the field. That that made me think of a a non-FIU question um, that I want to ask you, but I'll I'll save it towards the end. Um, So one thing that I'm curious about with Mike McIntyre, what's been the reception of him amongst, A, the the players on this roster that are from South Florida, and B, the general FIU community, uh, given the fact that Mike McIntyre was chosen for this position over several other coaches with deep, deep South Florida ties? Yeah, Joe, it's interesting you note that because certainly when the hire of McIntyre was announced, it was one that raised eyebrows because you had guys like former FIU running backs coach Tim Harris Jr., a Miami native, a son of a Miami high school legend, and Tim Harris Jr. himself won a state title at Booker T. Washington High 
you know, a, a big time Miami high school program. You know, you had Frank Ponce, who just became the offensive coordinator at Miami, coached at FIU at one time under Mario Cristobal. You had a lot of guys, and in, in, in even I'll give you one that's interesting. You had Jovan DeWitt, the name I mentioned was a defensive coordinator. He interviewed for the head coaching job. So you had guys with Florida ties. Um, but I think that in terms of – I don't necessarily want to say for the players. I think for the fans, they've come around just based on how well they were able to do in terms of assembling a staff. When you look at veterans like David Yost, a Jovan DeWitt, Ricky Brumfeld from Virginia – you look at getting, you know, guys like Corey Bell, who was at USF, excuse me, at UCF. That's my fragrance slip being the, the night um, and Florida. You know, you, you get, um, you know, a running back coach like Eric Hickson, who was at Miami last year. So the fact that they were able to really fill out this staff with a lot of veteran coaches, you know, name coaches at that. I think that's played a factor in winning over some of the fans. And I think the players, honestly, Joe, were just looking for any sort of reprieve from last year. The players who are coming over from last year to this year, any sort of reprieve from, you know, the struggles of the past year and a half, I, I think that is is really what's excited them the most. So the reception initially was one that was met with some raised eyebrows, especially with Mike McIntyre, you know. And we, we I think we talked about in previous podcasts and being a sub-500 coach, but you have to take into consideration he's had – rebuilding jobs at San Jose state and Colorado. And the fact that he's not a South Florida guy, but I do think he's, he's done what he can to try to win over the, the fan base. And now it's just a matter of, and, and I also think the expectations have to be a little bit tempered, understanding the shape that this roster was in. And it may not be an overnight success, but again, I think getting the coaching staff that they were able to assemble has certainly won over a lot of fans. That's good to hear. Uh, I know the FIU spring game was tentatively set for April 9th last month. Uh, has that been uh, formed up at all? Is that definitely the date now, or have they made an announcement about that yet? Oh, no, they have not moved, to the best of my knowledge, off that April 9th date. As a matter of fact, Joe, they're actually, um, you know, we had Scott Carr on the podcast, and you know him coming from UCF. He's certainly going to try to do some things to engage fans. One of the things that they've come up with is they're going to allow fans – to get a chance to call a couple plays. So that could be interesting. I actually got some, you know, some rasping on Twitter asking if I want to call a play. I do not. Uh, I would just take the opportunity to go look at the entire playbook and start quizzing coaches. But, uh, but yeah, no, they, they are, they are sold on that date of April 9th to the fact that again, they are marketing it and, you know, Come on down and call a play if you're a fan, I guess. That's a, that's a fun promotion. I like that. You know, get fans involved in the spring game a little bit. And I, I, I enjoy that. I think that's a good idea by uh, by Scott Carr and and all the other people involved in the football program. Um, Eric, you mentioned that you had time to catch up with a former FIU head coach, Butch Davis, uh, recently. And that is going to be turned into an article coming soon to underdogdynasty.com. Um, but, you know, obviously don't want to give away the farm, Eric, but, uh, you know, just curious, how'd that go? And, and how's, uh, how's our buddy doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I can't, I can't lie, Joe. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, it's been much has been made about the way things ended at FIU, whether it's read my coverage or, you know, Brett McMurphy and, and others. And I didn't know what to expect when I called Butch Davis, you know, but we, we exchanged a couple texts. First off, we exchanged a, te- a text after the last game of the year. And, you know, we've, texted periodically so when i picked the phone to call him I, again I, I wasn't sure what to expect but in that trademark oklahoman draw you know butch davis took with the phone and you know we caught up like it was old times. so definitely an, an interesting conversation you know i i think put you this way if there's any feeling that butch davis is you know backed off of his feelings about not 
feeling great about the way things ended. Uh, that's not the case. Um, again, you know, I'll save some of what, you know, um, his verbiage and, and the way he chose to go about things for the, uh, for the article. But yeah, I mean, it's a good conversation to catch up with him. And, and I think it's just interesting, Joe, in my mind. And again, I'm close to the situation, right? You know, I've covered FIU and Butch for four years now, and we've talked, I mean, God, probably over a hundred times between, you know, practices and post-game pressers and spring and so on and so forth. I think it's just interesting for a coach at this stage of his career to really sit down and, and see kind of where his mind was at and what he thinks the future is for him. And really, Joe, it was a conversation about the direction that he sees college football going in. So definitely something I hope uh, UDD fans and FIU fans and college football fans alike, um, you know, I hope they take the time to read this and I hope they enjoy, um, you know, getting a chance to catch up with someone who for whatever, whatever your feelings are, this is the thing that I, that I think you have to, um, considering Butch Davis is a, a figure in college football history in the sense that, you know, he was, while he wasn't the coach who won the 2001 national championship, he was the coach who assembled arguably the most dominant thing in college football history. What was it, Joe? Something like 19 first round picks on that 2001 team, you know, uh, Willis McGahee, Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, all in the same backfield uh, for whatever, again, uh, for whatever you want to think of the way things ended. Butch Davis is a a figure in, you know, the landscape of college football, especially here in South Florida. So I, I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. Uh, they had some epic battles uh, for the national championship in 2001, 2002, and even in years before. Uh, Erica, a yes or no answer will, will suffice here. Is uh, Coach Davis thinking about getting back into coaching anytime soon? Short answer, yes. Um, only thing I will say is he did emphasize that he is enjoying catching up with his wife and family, which he hasn't been able to do, you know, in a while. but. He didn't sound as if he was done either. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you know, Eric, um, before we start wrapping things up, uh, you, you, we talked a lot about like building team chemistry and some of the things that, that FIU are trying to do uh, in that regard in this offseason and, and how important, uh, you know, not just like practicing together and uh, eating together and all that, but doing, you know, activities together is, is important to build that kind of team unity thinking back to your playing days what's your favorite you know non-football activity that you guys did as a team to try to like build that chemistry it's a good question huh i i think one that stands out to mind i mean i always so you think i always liked the things that you could be competitive but fun so like you know, it, it wasn't top golf, but we went to um, like a Grand Prix, you know, and we did race like cars, which of course that can get rather dangerous when you got people, you know, in go-karts and, and college kids. Um, uh, dodgeball, you know, I loved those competition things, right? Because it was, a, it was a deal where you really got a chance to, I don't know. I mean, you could compete and still have fun with the guys, but it wasn't in pads and helmets, right? So I guess I'm trying to think there's one that really stands out to me. Um Hmm. Oh, like, oh, uh, we did escape rooms and that was fun. Um, Cause again, it just, you, it's things that you're like, all right, I don't really care what happens. And then once you start doing teams and trying to figure out the same, the other, like you start really getting competitive. So that was, and laser tag, laser tag was fun as well. So anything that was like team-based competitive base, I, I always enjoyed. <laughs> I'm thinking back to, to the teams I played on and we would not have, done well in an escape room my my senior year our, our senior class uh we took a trip to canton ohio to see the you know the pro football hall of fame and whatnot and we went to the movie theater one night and we couldn't even decide on a movie the the two movies we had it boiled down to funnily enough were inception 
and Despicable Me. And I thought we were going to fight each other over trying to just decide a movie. So I can't imagine trying to do an escape room with those guys. <laughs> it, it, it provided, inter- especially the escape room, that provided some, uh, some entertainment, no doubt. Uh, speaking of entertainment, in terms of just bizarre things that you've witnessed, we've talked a lot about some of the things that you've seen uh, in you know, South Florida, Tampa, Orlando, Miami. Um, in terms of things that you encountered as a result of covering FIU athletics, what is your favorite bizarre sight person thing you've encountered uh, in Miami during that time? Okay, I'm going to tell this story, but I do need to ask first. Joe, did I tell you the FIU basketball team story with an older gentleman coming in? I don't think so. Okay. I don't remember so, us ever talking about FIU basketball. Okay. So um, for those who may not know, you know, the layout of the, the practice fields there, they're right behind the Ocean Bank Convocation Center, which, of course, is FIU's basketball arena. And um, FIU actually, like, they have classes in that building, Joe. So if you need to go in there, you know, you're leaving the practice fields, you need to use the bathroom really quick for going back to your car. You can slide in there and, you know, the, they have bathrooms that are readily accessible because, again, they actually have classes on the same level that the um, that the arena's on. So, stepped in there and was catching up with you know a friend of mine who was who was an SID there at the time, and the basketball team you know were going through a little work a little walkthrough right. And I was just catching up after using the bathroom, and uh, you know I'm staying around. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll watch the team shoot around for a little bit. And an older gentleman walks in, and again, this is a public university. FIU is in a is not on South Beach. It's in a very like city area of Miami. Uh, and this older gentleman walks in with, uh, I'm going to try to paint the picture for you, Joe, probably about late sixties, early seventies, really, really short, like John Stockton style basketball shorts, high socks, a headband, a Jersey. Now I'm looking from the front, right? So it's like an orange and blue Jersey. And you know, it's not an authentic Jersey, but it's like, okay, you know, whatever he had his ball and he was like ready to hoop. And, the players got to kick out of it. You know, coach got to kick out. I was like, all right, you want to come on? Come on, old man, come hoop, you know? And, and they let him shoot around. And then he turned around and his jersey said, uh, <laughs> his jersey had number 4 69. <laughs> 4 69. Okay. And, 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 and there's nothing that sums up South Florida to me more than a late 60s, early 70s man. Who has a jersey that says 469? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't he, think of anything else. No. <laughs> once he turned around and everyone saw the jersey, it was just like our jaws dropped and was like, what? And not only did he have 4 69, where the numbers would be, he had 469, like as a nameplate, too. So <laughs> he's a, I don't want to say anything else but that's going to get Beth Maiman to, you know, email us. So I think I'll leave it at that. <laughs> the only thing that would have been more South Florida is if he had just taken his shirt off and that had been tattooed on his back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. All right. I need to, I need to come down there and, and reacquaint myself with uh, that part of the world uh, very soon. So hopefully I get to do that uh, this spring or summer. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. Uh, thanks as always to my co-host Eric Henry for, uh, <laughs> I like how I'm thanking you. Like you're not here every single day and aren't just as involved in the production of this as I am, but 
Uh, anyway, man, I appreciate your insight. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore at Eric C Henry underscore at underdog dynasty on Twitter, underdogdynasty.com every day for more G five football content, uh, starting, uh, to get some more spring content going and, uh, one-on-one with Butch Davis coming soon to the site. Uh, Eric, it's been a pleasure, buddy. Likewise, buddy. Happy football watching everybody.